Euthanasia. Euthanasia is the practice of intentionally ending a life to relieve pain and suffering. Definitions of the term vary and overlap with a host of related practices that include assisted death, physician-assisted death, aid in dying, and suicide. While these terms mean different things at their margin, I'm using them here to mean the same thing because of what they have in common. Actions that hasten death, most often by individuals with chronic, terminal or insufferable conditions. The availability of euthanasia varies from place to place, depending on religious, legal and moral factors. It's worth teasing out these factors to examine the thinking of those who would deny or enable others the right to end their own lives. It's also worth going beyond our judgments and critiques to probe deeper. What's true when we put aside our self-appointed right to judge those who want to end their life? Euthanasia is categorised as a voluntary, non-voluntary or involuntary act and further divided into passive and active variants. Passive euthanasia causes death by withholding a life-saving treatment like chemotherapy or turning off life support mechanisms such as mechanical ventilators that are necessary for continuing life. Sometimes known as pulling the plug, voluntary euthanasia is legal under certain circumstances in many countries around the world. Passive voluntary euthanasia means that a person has consented to life-ending actions, usually as a result of end-of-life discussions with their doctor and or their family. It can also take effect through an advanced care directive in which an individual has given written consent authorising someone to make end-of-life decisions on their behalf if they're unable to make the decision themselves. Non-voluntary euthanasia is done when obtaining a patient's consent isn't possible, usually because they're in a coma or perhaps suffering from an advanced neurological disease, such as one of the dementias. These decisions are usually made by a patient's family in consultation with a doctor in the absence of an advanced care directive. These scenarios are always difficult and often protracted and usually compound the grief of loved ones. Involuntary euthanasia occurs when euthanasia is done without informed consent, either on a person who doesn't want to die or who wasn't asked. Active euthanasia involves the use of lethal substances that are usually injected to cause death. It's highly controversial and legal in only a handful of countries, such as Belgium, Canada, Switzerland and the Australian state of Victoria. Active euthanasia is a form of assisted suicide. It means the suicide is done with the aid of another person, usually, but not always involving a doctor, a practice called physician-assisted suicide. Individuals who want an assisted suicide that's approved by the state need to qualify by satisfying many criteria, such as having a terminal illness, proving they're of sound mind, voluntarily expressing their wish to die, 
and taking a specified lethal dose of drugs themselves. A doctor's assistance is usually limited to writing a prescription for lethal drugs. Exit International is an international organisation advocating the legalisation of voluntary active euthanasia and assisted suicide. Because active voluntary euthanasia is only legal in a few countries, Exit International supports people who want to kill themselves by providing information about how to procure lethal substances that cause a quick, painless, peaceful death. The organisation was founded by Dr Philip Nitschke, who was the first doctor in the world to administer a legal, lethal, voluntary injection under the short-lived Rights of the Terminally Ill Act in Australia's Northern Territory. People living with chronic or terminal conditions have a host of reasons for wanting to die before death claims them. Their leading motives include a loss of autonomy, a dwindling ability to engage in activities that make life enjoyable, loss of dignity, intolerable pain from their disease or medication, loss of a sense of self and a fear of burdening others. I remember my dying mother many times saying, I wish they'd shoot me because her pain was being so poorly managed. She was a lifelong Catholic, opposed to euthanasia. Throughout her life, she'd often said she'd hoped to face the pain of dying with dignity. She wanted to offer up her pain to Jesus because he'd suffered so terribly on the cross. This might be her way, she thought, to honour his sacrifice, her way to suffer some measure of his suffering. She got a wish, but not in the way she'd imagined. She endured persistent, catastrophic pain for a week or more before a blood clot lodged in her lung and killed her. But her pain and suffering had been entirely avoidable, or so I was told shortly afterwards by a palliative care specialist at the hospital. Before she died, Mum was managed by two teams of specialists, a cardiac surgery team and a renal team. While each was focused on her signs and symptoms, nobody was especially interested in her pain. After all, she wouldn't die of pain, would she? From a medical viewpoint, it seemed like pain was just a regrettable and unavoidable part of her condition. Both teams knew she had irreversible kidney failure and would die from renal failure within a fortnight. Both knew she had an embolism lodged in her femoral artery that might shift and kill her by lodging in her lungs or brain before she died of renal failure. Yes, she was being given clot-dissolving drugs. Yes, she was getting opioids for the pain. But she was still suffering. The analgesics she got every four hours weren't doing the job. The dose didn't seem high enough or frequent enough to keep her comfortable. Or maybe she wasn't on the right drug. Despite my pleading and cajoling, the professionals responsible for her care weren't mobilised by her pain, which is often the case. The palliative care specialist who spoke to me later said Mum's care should have been managed by a palliative care team. They would have coordinated her care in a way that ensured that all her symptoms, and especially her pain, were well managed. 
This was cold comfort. She'd suffered excessively and needlessly. She'd writhed in pain for days on end to the point where she couldn't focus on dying. She was agitated and distressed to the point where she couldn't engage properly with family and friends who wanted to support and comfort her and the many people who'd come to say final farewells. For days and nights on end, she thrashed in terminal neglect, and despite all the skills and resources available, nobody took point to aid her. Her dying, and what should have been a rare and exquisite anteroom to death, was obliterated by pain. So, going against her lifelong religious beliefs, and a desire to offer up her suffering to God, she wanted a quick, assisted death. But in the end, she had no way of taking matters into her own hands, or of empowering anyone else to help her die quickly. The main reasons some of us are opposed to voluntary active euthanasia coalesce around issues of vulnerability, access, and concerns about eroding the value of human life. Once we let doctors kill patients, or help patients kill themselves under certain circumstances, some say there will be pressure to extend the range of circumstances where euthanasia is permissible. This is sometimes called a slippery slope argument because it's argued that it's easier to amend or liberalise existing laws that permit euthanasia than getting it approved in the first place. Once active euthanasia is legalised, opponents say that frail, chronically ill or terminal people will be vulnerable to an ever-expanding set of circumstances where doctors could kill patients or where they could help people kill themselves. Therefore, patients who don't really want to end their lives might feel pressure to end their lives when this isn't what they really want. Another rationale used by some opposed to euthanasia is that pain isn't a sufficiently good reason for anyone to want to die. Pain is simply part of dying and can be adequately managed, they say. Another view is that passive euthanasia is a better alternative, such as withholding life-saving treatment like chemotherapy or turning off life support systems. Embedded in this argument is a view that the difference between active and passive euthanasia is morally significant, that letting nature take its course, passive euthanasia, is morally defensible, while taking a life, active euthanasia, even with patient consent under legally defined circumstances, is not. Judeo-Christian religions oppose euthanasia and assisted suicide on moral grounds. The Catholic Church considers active euthanasia to be a crime against life, a crime against God. Catholicism says euthanasia is a sin because life is holy and sacred, and human actions that cause death, or that intend to, are effectively playing God. Implicit in this view is the idea that God created life, and that human actions to end it go against God's dominion and what Catholics regard as the invoyability or sanctity of life. The Jewish, Islamic and Hindu faiths also look gravely on active euthanasia. Euthanasia is divisive, and like other issues that divide us, 
like immigration policy or same-sex marriage, I'm guessing that people with little to no experience of euthanasia have more strident and negative views than those with personal and professional experience of it. I say this because there's good evidence, for example, that people with racially and ethnically diverse social networks are less likely to support racist views than people with monocultural networks. It turns out that education and life experience breed tolerance and compassion. Tolerance says, I'm willing to accept difference. I still have my opinions, but as a mark of respect, I'm willing to say, live and let live, each to her own. I can agree to disagree and leave it at that. Compassion goes deeper than tolerance because it walks in the shoes of another without judgment or opinion. Compassion is a matter of heart, not head, and bridges the divide between us. Compassion says, I feel what you feel, and even if I thought you were making a mistake by choosing to die as a way to end your fear and suffering, who am I to judge? We all face death. Can we be so certain, so righteous in our views, that we feel ordained to tell others how to face theirs? What gives any of us the right to tell another that they don't have the right to die? If we lay aside our arguments and religions and moral precepts, maybe we can let others face their end-of-life choices in their own way. <laughs>